You're listening to a podcast from LIU Studios. If you like what you're hearing, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to this show on your podcast app of choice. For more of our programs or to support LIU Studios, visit wcwp.org. Welcome to Civics is Dead. I'm Cindy Schwartz. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away, there were people, predominantly women in America, who would have rather starved to death than live in a world where women were not legally allowed to participate in the democratic process of choosing leaders for their country. To believe in suffrage for women, like famed suffragette Alice Paul did 100 years ago, could have cost you your life. Alice Paul, in November of 1917, was force-fed by prison officials during her hunger strikes for suffrage She was trying to prove the commitment of women like herself and others to accomplishing the dream of extending democracy to all. And that's why we are all here today, to honor those who have walked the walk and cried out, not in vain, that all human beings are entitled to justice for all, a concept that is the cornerstone of American democracy, a concept that is not to be taken lightly. And so I welcome you today to a bonus episode of Civics is Dead, where we will honor and celebrate the passage of the 19th Amendment granting the vote to women in 1920. We honor the strength, commitment, and promise of those who have worked and continue to work to protect not only women's right to vote, but the right to vote for all Americans. We must ferociously protect and encourage participation in our democratic process by reminding ourselves what one particular Enlightenment philosopher of the late 1600s, John Locke, once said, human beings are innately entitled to the protection of their lives, their liberties, and their properties. And how compassionate of Thomas Jefferson, the writer of our Declaration of Independence, to make one important elimination and addition to Locke's ideas. Thomas Jefferson eliminated the word properties and added the phrase that we know, the pursuit of happiness. So in our Declaration of Independence, it said that all human beings are entitled to protection of their lives, liberties, and their happiness. What a strong statement to come from a very wealthy and very property man like Thomas Jefferson, at least in theory, that he acknowledged the playing field needed to be leveled. Let's get this ball rolling and talk practically and specifically about why we are here. To first encourage young Americans and ultimately all Americans to understand the importance of participating in the democratic process by voting and playing a more active role in local, state, and national politics. And secondly, to emphasize how we must bring back the study of American history, American government, and civics into our classrooms. According to the Annenberg Public Policy Center, only 25% of Americans can name all three branches of government. That means 75% of Americans don't know the three branches of government. And by extension, they don't understand the separation of powers and checks and balances, a system we have always treasured as the cornerstone of our democracy. Our three branches of government, the executive, legislative, and judicial branches are our firewall, a firewall that prevents authoritarianism and dictators from emerging 
the emphasis on English language arts, math, science, and technology in our classrooms today seems to have kicked social studies and history and civics to the wayside. That could be dangerous for our future. I have always believed in a backstory, and there is one here. How did I come to this place where I felt the need to reach out and talk about the importance of civics engagement and to honor the 19th Amendment? I suppose it has a lot to do with being a parent and a teacher for the past 30 years or so. There is something about having children that increases your awareness of the sacredness of life and particularly about the sacredness of freedom of thought, always hoping my children would feel empowered to follow their dreams and become intellectually aware of the importance of living a mindful and aware life, I stressed political awareness from their early years through their college years. Proud to say that my children are politically and mindfully aware of how sacred our democracy is and particularly our right to debate and vote for leaders who articulate our shared values. Values that include love of family, honesty, integrity, and democracy. That is what we all treasure. We are not polarized on that front. We are all fundamentally believers in the same values. The challenge becomes, how do we keep those values? We vote. Now back to how I became passionately interested in encouraging civics engagement, and by extension, more civics education in our classrooms. I was a classroom tenured high school social studies teacher in a public school on Long Island in New York for just about 30 years. I loved, loved, loved every minute of it loved the engagement with the students, loved making history come alive with participatory activities that included roundtable discussions, debates, formalized debates, mock trials, art projects, music projects, students teaching students, films, poems, anything and everything that could make history relevant, interesting, and engaging. But sadly, with the passage of the federal laws, No Child Left Behind, Race to the Top, Every Student Succeeds Act, the National Common Core Standards, which were tied with testing that would ultimately determine how much federal money states would receive for their schools, things started to change. Additionally, the movement to tie teachers' evaluations with these Common Core exams were encouraged by the federal government and then state governments as well. Teaching seems to change overnight top-down approaches rather than more democratic input in faculty meetings seem to become more prevalent. Testing, testing, testing from the elementary school level through the high school level roped everyone in. More of my students seem to have colitis, anxiety attacks, headaches, irritable bowel syndrome. Things were so different. The icing on the cake at the high school level was the push, push, push for more students, if not all, to take advanced placement classes as well. Classes that many were just not developmentally or academically prepared for. And yes, I've always believed that a student's reach should exceed their grasp. But were we simply setting students up for failure? Where would their self-esteem be if they were not ready for these classes? Who was driving the car in this world of testing? Maybe it wasn't the teacher anymore. And finally, I became alarmed, honestly, when I began hearing that on the elementary school level, our youngest students from K through fourth grade weren't spending much time learning social studies, American history, and civics anymore. Intense research on this topic consumed me. 
Common Core, NCLB, Race to the Top, and ESSA programs were focusing on English language arts and not the history of the United States of America. Teaching social studies for many public schools throughout America became and continues to be sidelined, marginalized, in favor of STEM and STEAM subjects. In the most recent edition of Social Studies Education, the official magazine published by the National Council for the Social Studies, their president, Tina Lane Hefner, argued at her presidential address at the NCSS Annual Conference in Austin, Texas in November of 2019 that, and I quote here, recent trends have promoted a culture of testing and neglect of social studies subjects that has weakened the ability of our schools to promote knowledge of how students can be informed and engaged citizens in a globally diverse society. Additionally, she says, and I quote again, social studies is being made boring and robbed of its capacity to make sense of an uncomfortable past, a chaotic present, and an uncertain future. Noting that longitudinal data tells us that there has been a, quote, statistically significant decline in the past three decades in the time that teachers report allocating for social studies each week in elementary school grades K to five, we wonder, how will any child grow up with the knowledge of how important voting is if they are never discussing it or practicing it? Additionally, where would our students ever acquire historical context to understand events we are experiencing today? For example, we see political divisiveness today. It's not the first time. The Constitutional Convention in 1787, they argued there. The Mexican War in 1846, imperialists versus anti-imperialists. The Civil War, the need for progressive reforms at the turn of the 20th century. America's entry into World War I, government's role during the Great Depression, McCarthyism, the Vietnam War, context, divisiveness, debate. Will our students of the future know any of these events really well to understand where we've been? And if not, how can they have any knowledge of where we might be going? What will our future look like if we don't know the past and learn from it? So that's my story. And what brought me to wonder, is civics really dead? I must tell you that I recently interviewed someone very interesting. This person's name was Dr. Alan Singer, and he was the director, and still is, the director of social studies education at Hofstra University in New York. And I asked him a very important question. I asked him if civics was dead, and you can hear this interview on the second season of Civics is Dead, so stay tuned for that as well. But when we spoke, according to Dr. Singer, he said that civics is not dead. It simply morphed into student activism outside of the classroom, from rallies about climate change, to school shootings, to college debt, to healthcare and jobs. The activism of young people, he said, seems in earnest right now, but that's outside the classroom. What Dr. Singer stressed and what is being stressed on the national level from national social studies leaders like Tina Lane Hefner of the NCSS is that civics education and social studies education must be brought back into the classrooms pronto. She says, and I quote, the chronic dysfunction of social studies knowledge has reached a new critical mass in American schools. This is our Sputnik moment. And as we know, that is a very important watershed moment in our history. Well, right now, 
The non-teaching of social studies is our Sputnik moment. And what will we do about it? Dr. Singer says, and I quote, is civics going to be taught in the classroom or only in the streets? Clearly, he wants it to come back into the classroom. So how do we answer that question? Has the outcry from social studies educators like myself and others prompted schools throughout our nation to encourage the teaching of civics and more importantly, participatory democracy been making headway? Well, here's the good news. Slowly but surely, the message is getting out. Listen to what new programs are out there that do encourage civics education and participatory democracy. It's exciting. Former Chief Justice Sandra Day O'Connor's iCivics.org program is important to note. It's where participatory nonpartisan civics games and lessons are offered online to teachers and students alike. Approximately 200,000 teachers are registered and more than 5 million students in all 50 states are participating. Bravo to Justice Sandra Day O'Connor. Teaching Tolerance, another program, an initiative through the Southern Poverty Law Center, offers free materials, reaches 500,000 educators. Their mission? Tolerance is a basic American value. Then there's a group called YES, Youth Engaged in Service, and they have a public charter network in Houston that brings civics and service into the curriculum. They also have summer enrichment with community service, mentorships, older with younger students, and ethics courses in senior year for students. The Cesar Chavez Public Charter Schools for Public Policy, three campuses in Washington, D.C. Each year, high school students complete an advocacy project where they apply what they've learned to current events and problems facing Washington, D.C. In grade 11, students complete a two and a half week fellowship seminar that provides them with career, networking, and civic skills. Center for Civics Education, founded in Los Angeles, University of California. They have lots of programs, which include We the People and Project Citizen. New York City hosted the second annual Civics Week run by the Department of Education, which included a 2020 student voter registration drive during the week of March 2nd through the 6th, 2020, celebrating the voice of youth, civic empowerment, and registering all eligible young people to vote. It's part of the Civics for All initiative supported by New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio's Democracy slash New York City Civics Week initiative. Their mission? Get every eligible young person ready to vote. Other initiatives that encourage voting and participatory democracy that are out there are Rock the Vote, New Hampshire's Institute for Civics Education, Generation Citizen, CivX Now, and Project Citizen, offered through the Justice Resource Center in New York City. Project Citizen offers an opportunity for New York City elementary, middle, and high schools to participate in a public policy program which encourages and engages students of all ages in the research and design of a public policy in their school or community. How nice is this? Lots of programs surfacing and attracting attention. Lots of schools across America that should either attach themselves to these programs or start ones of their own. But we have a long way to go before we say that civics isn't dead. According to the Center of American Progress, as of 2018, only nine states and the District of Columbia require one year of civics or United States government 
31 states require one half year of civics or U.S. government education. 10 states, 10 states in the United States have no civics requirement. What's the upshot? Most states have dedicated insufficient class time to understanding the basic functions of government at the expense of other courses. And no states have experiential learning or local problem-solving components in their civics requirements. While almost one half of states allow credit for community service, almost none require it. Only one state, Maryland, and the District of Columbia both require community service and civics courses for graduation. That's 49 more states to go until we have both civics and service required of our students before they graduate. When we get there, democracy will be saved. But until then, wondering if civics is dead motivates us to continue to strive to have every student in the United States of America know, at the very least, the three branches of government. I hope you enjoyed our bonus edition of Civics is Dead and our commitment to furthering democracy in America by celebrating the 100th anniversary of the passage of the 19th Amendment that granted women the right to vote. Stay tuned for season two, which is coming soon. Please be sure to subscribe to Civics is Dead on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your podcast app of choice, or visit wcwp.org slash civicsisdead. You can also follow us on Twitter at civicsisdead. I wish you a beautiful day and great peace in your life.